Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here. It's Friday, ooh, let's say yes, February 10th. So glad that you've joined us for this last day of our pastoral devotionals for this week. We have been camping out in Matthew chapter 4, trying to understand the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness, what that's about, what we should learn, how we should apply this to ourselves. And of course, this study, everything that we've done this week will culminate in the sermon this Sunday at Four Oaks. So that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to go through the passage for the upcoming Sunday to do some exegesis, to, to, to dig in, to sort of work our way through together uh, the meaning of the text and sort of build up. And in that way, give us some, some tools that we can learn to study the Word of God and to feed ourselves biblically. So, so that's where we are. We've been in Matthew chapter 4. So let me read our passage again, and we're going to draw things to a close from what we've talking about this week. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Satan said, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and we're ministering to him. So yesterday, we unpacked in detail uh, the essence of these temptations. Not only do they mirror the temptations of the Israelites as they were wandering around in the wilderness, but they strike at a particular part of the messianic um, mission that Jesus had that he was carrying forth on behalf of the Godhead. And Satan, at each and every turn, was attempting to, to throw him off of that mission because, of course, if Jesus, in fact, goes through with living a perfect life and dying as our perfect sacrifice, um, Satan's final defeat is secured. And so, so we kind of unpack those things, and you can go back and reference them. But I want to use this morning to, to, to kind of address one final point from this passage, and it's one that we oftentimes have as we think about these temptations and who Jesus is as a man. Because we affirm that God, that Jesus is 100% God, while at the same time 100% man, we have questions like this. For example, um, Pastor Paul, as Jesus is going through these temptations, is it possible that he could fail? In other words, is it possible that he could actually sin? Is it possible that he could actually fall and 
um, into the schemes of the evil one and in, into sin and to the temptations of the devil? Now, that's a, that's a hard question, okay, to answer um, because the humanity of Jesus certainly gives us a whole nother orb to understand who the Son of God is. The short answer, okay, and this is going to relate to the this idea of what theologians call the impassibility of God or the, um, the, the, the idea of can God change or can God be altered um, in any way or can you know are his are, is he immutable? And the short answer to this is that no, Jesus could not sin. And this is really based upon the idea, that while he is man, he never ceases to be God. And in God, there is no untruth. There is no unholiness. There is no, um, there's no devious way. Now, in saying that, that might lead us to be tempted to think, well, then, then were these real temptations? If, if Jesus couldn't fail, were they, were they in fact real or were they as meaningful? And the short answer to that is, yes, they were, Okay. Just because Jesus could not fail, and listen, let's be thankful that he could not fail, because if he, there was a chance that he could fail, then our salvation would have been in the balance. Things would have been uncertain. Jesus would have been less than God. But just because he could not fail doesn't mean that he wasn't really tempted. Okay, So, so again, this is all part of what it means to hold all of the scriptures intention together with one another. So a very familiar passage probably to many of you, Hebrews chapter four, flip back over there just for a second. Hebrews four, um, saying what we just said, let's, let's listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So even though Jesus is immutable, Jesus um, is God, he could not sin. He, there wasn't even the possibility. He was nonetheless tempted just as we are. His temptations were very real. He went through the temptations that we go through in the same way that we go through them, but differently in that he does not resist the temptation. Now, does that? how does that render him able to sympathize with our weakness? Well, think about it this way. So oftentimes when you and I go through temptation, um, we don't cycle through the whole round of temptation. Sometimes we sin immediately. Sometimes we sin um, at the outset. Sometimes as we're wrestling through our temptation, we are even sinning as we are wrestling, right? And, and so it's, it's oftentimes we fail in that temptation, all right? That's why it says here, um, we are to go to, to Jesus for mercy and grace in our time of need because he has gone before us. Well, the fact that Jesus goes through the full cycle of a temptation, okay, um, beginning with the way that it's presented in front of his eyes or pops into his head as a thought, and again, we don't understand how these things fully work, 
or he's confronted with a different choice as he is here with, with Satan. The fact that he does not sin, that he remains faithful, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, should give us even greater hope and confidence as we ourselves walk through temptation, okay? It doesn't make Jesus less able to sympathize with us. It makes him more able to sympathize because he's run the whole gamut of the temptation. And I think there's a few things that we can learn particularly about the way Jesus deals with temptation that are going to be particularly helpful for us. Okay? N- number one, it's obvious that, that Jesus uses the word of God to combat all of his temptations, okay? But it's not just the fact that he uses the word, it's how he uses the word. So, 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 so second thing we could say is Jesus is never passive in the way that he deals with temptation, right? He doesn't let temptations, temptations sort of set up shop in his head. Martin Luther talked about temptations in terms of birds flying over and making a nest. We can't help a bird that flies over our head, but we certainly can help if that bird comes and lands on our head and begins to make a nest for herself, right? That's something we can control. We can't control, in other words, use it for temptation's sake, the scattering of thoughts, the passing of thoughts, the passing of objects before our eyes, things that come into our sphere. We, we, we can't prevent that, right? We have to live in this world, but yet what we can prevent by proactivity using the word of God are those thoughts, temptations and such coming to roost in our hearts. So, so Jesus is never passive. Okay. Number, number three, let's say this. Jesus is never anxious though. A lot of times in the way that we deal with thoughts, okay. Or unwanted temptations is we can sort of become OCD hyper-focused, right? We can sort of freak out. I will not look, I will not think, I will not act. And we sort of come, become obsessively neurotic about our temptations. And we, what happens when we do that? Well, we end up doing the very things that we are trying to resist and that we don't want to do. Jesus doesn't do that either, right? He doesn't camp out on these temptations long enough to try to, to, to figure out, oh my gosh, did I think this? Did I do that? Did I act upon this way or, or what have you? He he, again, is proactive. He's focused. He has the word of God hidden in his heart as evidenced by the fact that he's able to reel off Deuteronomy 6 and 8, uh, passages from Deuteronomy 6 through 8, just like that. He is able to deal decisively with them. And I think that gives us a great model for how to deal with temptation. We don't want to be passive, but neither do we want to be neurotic. We simply want to be faithful as things come into our sphere to take those thoughts captive and to lift them up to the word of God, to claim the promises of God, and knowing that even when we fail, to not sort of wallow in those failures, but to come to Jesus to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Now, one of the things that I love about the way this passage ends, it says, be gone, Satan. This is not just Jesus terminating the interview. Like, I've had enough. Let's take a break. This is Jesus dropping the mic. This is Jesus summarily dismissing Satan from his presence. This is Satan defeated, leaving with his tail between his legs. Now, we know that Satan is not done. He will return to tempt 
Jesus and his disciples throughout the course of Jesus's ministry. But yet, Jesus is able to resist these temptations knowing that, that he is the ultimate defeater of temptation. And how is Jesus the ultimate defeater of temptation? Is that he doesn't even yield to the temptation to give himself up from the cross. He is faithful to the end, not to call down the legions to rescue him, not to forsake his divine mission to die on the cross, but to be obedient to the will of God, to become a servant, become obedient even to death, death on a cross. That's why Satan is defeated, ultimately. All right. I hope this has been fruitful for you this week. I look forward to being back here Monday as we talk about the next passage in this um, cycle. And I believe we're going to be in, um, well, let's see, Matthew. We're working towards the Sermon on the Mount. We have two more messages, two more passages before we get there. The calling of Jesus' disciples um, and Jesus beginning his ministry. So, so we got we got some couple cool things coming up before we get to the Sermon on the Mount. One last thing. I've been meaning to do this. I said I would bring a, another devotional or a couple of resources to show them off for you. Uh, this is a great little commentary, Matthew, by Craig Keener. Uh, he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. It's the um, InterVarsity Press um, New Testament commentary series. It's really good. I recommend that. Um, and then, if you again, if you're just looking for a study Bible, a good study Bible, the ESV Study Bible um, is a classic. It takes uh, the middle position with a lot of uh, controversial theological issues, but nonetheless, it gives a good overview of some of the different perspectives on some of the on many of those issues. But it is a just a tried and true. It's so good, so helpful. Again, ESV Study Bible. Let's pray. Lord, go with us now, and we pray as the disciples prayed: Lead us not into temptation. But when you do lead us into those times of testing, let us trust in you, walk with you, lean upon you and your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend.